Back to Now, a series of podcasts where we celebrate all things related to the variously compiled world of pop. In the company of some wonderful guests, we open up gatefold vinyl sleeves, unfold cassette inlays, slip out CD booklets, and explore how our favourite compilation albums have shaped our lives and now fondly stand as time capsules for our own pop culture journeys. And join in with me, Ian, and the Back to Now social community by searching for the Pop Rambler pages. For this episode, we welcome Sam Lidicott. Sam is a music journalist who set up the blog Music Musings and Such in 2011. Since then, he has written thousands of articles and interviewed a range of guests. A huge fan of music, since he was a child, Sam now expresses a big interest in chart music and the changing shape and sound of the mainstream. In addition to discussing gender equality and gender issues in the music industry, one of Sam's main focal points is Kate Bush, counting himself as one of her biggest fans. Sam, uh, welcome back to now. Let's talk a wee bit before we move into looking at your chosen album. Music Musings and Such, 2011, so you're... 13 years and counting. Where did the the ideas come for that? Yeah, I had a friend who sort of had a blog. Quite a few of her features were based around sort of music, how particular songs were sort of scoring quite emotional life memories. And it made me think more deeply about music and my attachment to music. And I hadn't got a blog at that point. A couple of weeks later, I set it up very sort of nervously. If you look at the early posts, they're quite primitive. I sort of built from there and I've just been going ever since. And yeah, sort of very prolific at the moment. I just love what I'm doing and it's sort of grown into this huge blog. So it was it's very weird, but very grateful for that encounter. Looking back through some of the recent posts as well, it's a very interesting landscape again for female artists. We're in one of those situations where 2023 has been dominated by women. I think in terms, mm. if you look at all the album best ofs that are coming out this year, if you look at the best of singles, all these sort of spotlighted artists that have been tipped for sort of success, like the last dinner party artists like that are really sort of big at the moment. It does seem to be women that are really much at the forefront being discussed and sort of talked about as the best artists. And yet, if you look on the other side of things, if you look at festivals, their headliners, their bills, Mm. radio playlists, certainly sort of mainstream radio stations, there does seem to be this imbalance where you've got all this wonderful sort of talent that's either not being recognised, it's being overlooked or it's being dismissed still. So it's great to talk about these amazing women, but at the same time, obviously sort of talking about the fact the industry still isn't as balanced as evolved as it should be and I think hopefully fingers crossed 2024 is going to be a year now where we can sort of address that and move forward. Some of my favourite music of 2023 I'm thinking of people like Irene Mancini. And oh, same, yeah. Just, no, my I mean, my favourite album, perfect example, one of these artists that has just um, saw her a few times, got the album, adored it, reviewed it, and yeah, she's just one of so many amazing women that are just doing something really different, interesting, and that hopefully is going to be recognised when it comes to the festivals this year. So Kate Bush, where did, <laughs> we I mean, where did that begin? Well, I remember Catelyn Moran, she was on Desert Island Discs and she said the first experience of Kate Bush was Wuthering Heights, seeing her in the video in a nighty. it's actually a white dress, but she remembers just mm. seeing this very unusual woman singing about Wuthering Heights, this novel and sort of dancing around sort of dry ice and smoke and just being sort of beguiled. That was the same for me. I was, I think, about four or five years old. So it was one of my really early experiences of music. And I think up until that point, My sort of experience of pop music was artists like Madonna, Michael Jackson, pretty standard stuff. And then Mm. one day I discovered Kate Bush and that was it. And it was on a VHS, The Whole Story, which was like a sort of greatest hits in 86. That was it for me. I was just sort of hooked and just wondered who this woman was. And I followed her ever since. It's surprising, but it's also not surprising. 
in some ways that Kate Bush is still such an inspiration for female artists nowadays. You know, that increasing gap between releases, and obviously we mm. saw in 2022 the, the Stranger Things impact. Why do you think Kate Bush still has resonating impact for artists? I think it's just because her music is so original. It might sound like a lazy answer, but I think it's mm. it's so different to what's out there at the moment. I think Kate Bush is always going to sound like nothing else, even though you've got artists that are sort of obviously following her lead. You've got like sort of Caroline Polachek mm. and um, yeah, even sort of Charlie XCX's name, sort of Kate Bush is an influence, even though there are artists sort of influenced by her. I don't yeah. think there's anything at the moment that sounds like Kate Bush. I think that's always going to inspire artists and it's always going to engage fans. And it's interesting what you said about Stranger Things. That was a really weird moment. It was mm. pretty much where America sort of woke up because for years she hasn't actually been recognised there or her music's been sort of dismissed and seen as a bit weird and a whole new generation just because of this one song. Because she's one of these artists that doesn't need to be releasing stuff all the time. She is very yeah. sort of grounded down to earth. She's not one of these big stars that um, is on social media. She she does seem very sort of relatable and normal and mm. a lot of new people are discovering sort of albums like Hounds of Love and they're going back and sort yeah. of finding this music that's then getting shared on TikTok and that's then this mm. whole new wave of TikTok artists who are using Kate Bush as this sort of guide and yeah. so yeah it's great to see. Yeah so big question do you think we're going to see new music in 2024? <laughs> oh don't I mean every year I keep making these predictions and I'm confident and then it doesn't happen I mean 2011 was the last album given everything that's happened with Stranger Things the fact that she's reissued her albums I mean she's looked back quite a lot there's been quite mm. a lot of retrospection and sort of clearing the deck so I think it's time for new music and it's been long enough so I think we all um, I think we all deserve music yeah, yeah. let's hope I was born in 1983 so I was sort of the generation where I was getting my parents taste so I think the stuff I sort of grew up with yeah sort of the Beatles the Rolling Stones Led Zeppelin a lot of the 60s 70s stuff that my parents were sort of growing up on T-Rex I was a big fan of Beach Boys early Beach Boys Madonna I previously mentioned obviously Kate Bush that came in very early so it was a lot of combination of parent stuff and things I was discovering sort of in the late 80s through to the early 90s and then obviously when I sort of got a little bit older into childhood sort of 9, 10 I was then picking up on what was happening on the radio what was happening in the charts so um yeah but my parents were really big music fans had a lot of vinyls so I was always sort of engaged with what was going on not yeah. just with their collection but what was happening yeah. in the sort of contemporary as well so that was a yeah that yeah. was a nice mixture and those touch points top of the pops yeah top of the pops yep vh1 i was reading i think it was smash hits and then i sort of graduated to enemy because i was sort of i went from pop through to sort of um different genres after that scary to think of a time before the internet how i was getting my music but it was mainly <laughs> mainly the tv sort of radio one i think bit of radio too as well so it's a mixture of radio tv stations and whatever sort of pop shows were on the tv at the time as well i was getting it from there so before we come to the album let's let's contextualize 93 for you then sam what was life like yeah it was interesting i was sort of 10 in may looking ahead to sort of high school getting very nervous it seemed like growing up at a very young age and i think music was very much a Something that sort of grounded me, it kept me happy, kept me sort of bonded to my friends, but also it was, um, I don't know, it gave me strength as well. It sort of made me a bit less fearful of the future. May, may sound a bit weird, but all the sort of music mm. that was happening around me, I was sort of absorbing, using as something to uh, sort of take away the anxieties. And yeah, it was it was a period where, as I said, I sort of transitioned from sort of parents' collection, mm. sort of really getting interested in sort of buying my own music. And now 24 was actually the first album that I bought with my own money. So it was a, it was a really significant event. And um, yeah, I think 1993, it gets sort of overlooked as one of these lesser years because the 90s yeah. is an incredible decade. You talk about 91, talk about 94. Mm. I don't think... 
I don't think enough people talk about 93, everything that was happening there in terms of sort of grunge still going. You had Britpop that was starting to come through. Mm-hmm. Genres sort of start to merge in, crossing over. Sort of incredible strong women like Bjork and Madonna were sort of making this incredible music. So it was, it was a really inspiring time as a child, just absorbing everything and being really inspired by everything going on around me. It is an interesting year. I mean, I was hoovering up music in 93. Yeah. And it's interesting going back to look and see what that snapshot looks like on Now24. 1993 was a perfect year to really start falling in love with music because there was so much going on. So much of it that goes into Now24. This is Now24 with E17. Take that and sub sub. Duran Duran, Annie Lennox, Simply Red and Shabba Ranks. Now24 with Arrested Development, Lenny Kravitz and Snow. Ugly Kid Joe and the number one hits from Two Unlimited, The Bluebells and Shaggy. 37 top chart hits on Now24. That's what I call music. This was the first Now release of 1993, 26th of April. Those listeners that are sitting and know Now24 will be sitting going, OK, right, let's get to it, because there is a lot to talk about here. There's reissues, there are cover versions, there are yeah. familiar artists, there's new artists coming through, there's mm. some artists clinging on by their fingertips <laughs> as well. You would have been cassette. Was your first copy a cassette? Yeah, I got the album from a sort of little independent sort of music shop that was in the town where I lived, I believe it was a cassette version, so it mm. would have been the cassette, and I've got the CD at home, so yeah. I'm... Yeah. So, we'll go Compact Disc then. Compact Disc 1, track 1. Yep. And it's Young at Heart by the Bluebells, making its second appearance on a now album. I love this track. It's one of my all-time favourite tracks, full stop, and I know some people criticise it as a bit sort of cheesy, especially with the sort of fiddles that come in, and I love it as a sort of nine, ten-year-old. It was one of these really sort of joyous tracks that... Um, really stuck in my heart and I think I think it's a great way to start the album because it's really sort of invigorating it's energetic and mm. obviously as well it makes you think back was it 84 that it was first released yeah and it was then 84 it sort of, yeah I find that really interesting how a song can sort of come out in the one decade and then sort of be popular in the next one which is um, still going on to this very day Also important to note that when this album was released this was the number one single it had been part of a TV advert campaign for Volkswagen That's right, I remember that A very memorable one about the kind of women getting divorced Um, It only got to number 8 in uh, in 1984 so this was a recharge and it was number one for a month so I mean that resonates with a new audience There's a fantastic Top of the Pops clip of them doing it in the nicest way, we're parodying some of the other Top of the Pops artists who were on. I think we get a shout from the McCluskey brothers about Shabba Ranks. And oh, yeah. Both of which are on this album later on. Um, but um, but yeah, no, very much still a going concern, the Bluebells. Released a, yeah. a fantastic album last year called In the 21st Century. Um, if you haven't heard it, listeners, absolutely brilliant album. Yeah, so we go from a re-release to a cover. Is it fair to say Could It Be Magic is the beginning of Take That's Journey Proper? Yeah, what was it? Barry Manilow cover. Really yeah. unusual sort of choice of cover, but I think they do it really well. Yeah. It's actually my favourite take, that song. I, I think you can sort of feel the confidence coming from them. And yeah. I don't don't think I knew about Take That before ninety three. I think this is my first exposure to them. But I think it's um I think it's a year where they were really sort of starting to kick up a gear and becoming yeah. really sort of ubiquitous and the videos they're in a garage sort I think there's, of, yeah um, the no. fact that they're sort of very energetic and gymnastic and doing backflips it's it's a very sort of physical <laughs> sort of sexy rendition of the song so i think that helped it sort yeah. of chart. again like bluebells young at heart is just one of those really sort of big sort of poppy tracks that um yeah. yeah you can't help but love it was it was the best british single at the brits as well so that's that's always good smash has described it as a spectacular stomperama 
Um, I mean, you can't well, argue with that, to be honest. When you think of the first two tracks of Young at Heart and Could It Be Magic, really good choices. First yeah. two tracks in. 1993, I was doing a lot of DJing. These first three tracks on this album, you could have put on and left and gone away to the bar. Young at Heart's <laughs> going to fill a dance floor. Take That's going to fill a dance floor. Ain't No Love, Ain't No Use by Sub Sub and Melanie Williams always fill the dance floor as well. This was a great big track. Number three in the charts. This was school discos when I went to mm. sort of high school in 94. This was very much a sort of staple of any sort of disco. I love Melanie Williams. I didn't know anything about her beforehand. I didn't know Sub Sub, then went on to become Elbow. Sorry, Doves, which is one of the weirdest sort of transitions and evolutions in music. Um, It's one of those great sort of dance songs that um, you got a lot of in the 90s that were sort of fronted by women with these sort of incredible voices backed by really sort of catchy beats and it's just a stomper. It just gets people on the dance floor and, yeah, it's brilliant. It's got that kind of Motown throwback to it as well. That Soulful House thing was a big early 90s thing. You know, the Manchester background, I think, probably helps because you've got that Northern Soul feel to it. You've got that fantastic vocal, as you say, from Melanie Williams. We move into the next track, which is Exterminate by Snap. This was a follow-up to Rhythm as a Dancer and had got to number two. I don't think this is anywhere near as good as Rhythm as a Dancer. No, I mean, Rhythm as a Dancer, again, without hyperbole, is is just one of my favourite songs ever. By no means the worst track on the album. I mean, as we get get (laughs) towards the end, it gets a bit bit patchy, but um, but, but I agree. Yeah, vastly inferior to sort of Rhythm. Rhythm is a dancer, unfortunately. Yeah. Worth of note is the vocalist is Nikki Harris, who, if you had been a Madonna fan, she had been obviously one of Madonna's backing vocalists, plays a big part in Bed with a Madonna film as well. Nineteen ninety three, there was a lot of disco music around. Slightly polished up, <laughs> slightly remixed. Because there's no arguing with We Are Family by Sister Sledge. But here we've got it as the surest pure remix edit. Just trying to think why disco was coming sort of back into fashion sort of in ninety three. Maybe it was sort of um sort of related to sort of house sort of Manchester scene and that evolved yeah. to Well, I've got of... a based on nothing theory, yeah. which has got two prongs here, right? The Go first on. one is well, disco never went away. And yeah. the club scene was big. And actually, if you can get remixes, remix big tracks, perfect. But also, the CD market was huge in 1993, early 90s CD market. There was a yeah. huge, big push on best ofs because you could cram 78 minutes of music onto one CD. Oh and, I, <laughs> and, and I think, if I'm right in, uh, in saying this, there was a best of Sister Sledge came out. That, I think, is my thinly based theory on nothing here. <laughs> Because this was this was um, the third time this had been in the top forty, but this was the highest version at number five. No, I think your theories are sort of right. And as you say about disco, it's still very much alive in twenty four. Sort of Kylie Minogue, Dua Lipa, it, it never goes away. And yeah, I don't know if it's a good thing that CDs you could sort of hold so much music. I think a lot of artists just <sighs> over bloated albums just because oh, they could yeah. put it all on a CD. It, it was one of the problems of the early nineties. They just crammed every sort of song they could. But no, I, I think that best of theory holds weight and. It introduces the original to sort of a new generation, so I don't mm. think it's ever a bad thing. It's like the Bluebells. You get an excuse to sort of bring an older song to a, a sort of younger audience, and then that sort of leads to them discovering all sorts of other music from that time. So, um, yeah. But no, it, it, it's a good remix. I like it. it oh, yeah. It, it's of the time. If you wanted <laughs> yeah. 1979 as seen through 1993's eyes, that's, <laughs> that's a great example. I can't imagine yeah. too many DJs reach for the 93 remix now. As you say, it introduces a different audience. 
you as a nine, ten-year-old at the time, that would have been, I'm guessing, your introduction to something like Sister Sledge. Yeah, very much so. I mean, my parents are quite into disco, particularly my dad, he's a huge disco fan, so I would have heard some stuff around the time, like sort of Earth, Wind & Fire and Mm. sort of... um, some of those bands that were coming through Jackson Five as well, but um, but yeah, certainly Sister Sledge. There was no reference point in '93 other than now '24. This is another beautiful thing. You could get a compilation that can introduce you to somebody you've never heard of. So um, yeah. it's not just about all the stuff you're hearing on the radio. It is um, it's a nice mix of those sort of older artists. So yeah, absolutely, it was a great revelation. Let's take track seven, eight, and nine together. Nope, let's not. Let's try that again. Let's take track six, seven, and eight together, <laughs> because there's a there's a slight um, reggae, Jamaican reggae like, feel here. Yeah, snow. Is it Shabba Ranks and Shaggy all, all yep, in a row? Yep, that's it. And and you got the sequence right as well. I've no idea what Snow is saying in Informer because it's in patois, so I don't know most of what he's saying. So I think that was one of the joys, sort of singing along to the song. You don't really know what you're singing to, but um. I really like it. I don't know what your thoughts are on Informer. Yeah. It's, Do you know, it still pops up on the radio. All the sort of hip-hop reggae I was sort of growing up on, it was mainly from sort of black, American, British, sort of European artists, and mm. having somebody like Snow coming through was, yeah. yeah, that was very unusual, and not many white Canadian rappers. But no, it's one of these that you hear on the sort of best of 90s compilation that gets yeah. a bit of stick. But um, no. but no, because of the age I was, I think I just um, I just loved it because it was a bit silly. And um, it's got a nice chorus. It's got a sing-along chorus, yeah. so that, that's yeah. quite nice. It was seven weeks number <laughs> yeah. one in America. Wow. So, so that's obviously helped for the Bills over the years for Darren Kenneth O'Brien, <laughs> to give him his full name. We then moved to Shabba Ranks and Mr. Loverman. What is quite good about track eight, which is Shaggy or Carolina, mm. there's a sample at the beginning of the original version of this um, by the Folk Brothers from 1960. Proper credibility at the beginning of that track for me. Yeah, I mean, I love this track a lot. I think it's Shaggy's best song. Mm. It's one of my favourite songs of the 90s and one of the sort of big reasons I keep listening to now, 24, it's just, a, yeah. as you say, you've got that sort of authentic sample, but then you've got something more sort of contemporary and it's, yeah. no, it's a really good song. Shaggy re- representing that Trojan tradition and, and kind of, mm. t- you know, I mean, I hadn't heard the original of Carolina. I, I didn't know that in 1993. That, for me, probably opened up that gateway to a lot of those Trojan tracks. One of the beauties of a compilation album is you might not have thought about a sort of genre of music mm. or you might have a very limited worldview of it and by bringing it into a compilation you sort of yeah just expand your horizons a bit and um it sends you down other routes which is um yeah really satisfying but then those first eight tracks we've had reggae we've had disco we've had jazzed up northern soul house (laughs) barry manilow covers and and the bluebells so actually you know from that young pop fan point of view that's now doing exactly what it should be doing which is presenting all of those different genres, all the latest pop hits. Here's a typical PG-rated East End love song from their new LP, Wolfram Snow. Welcome, East 17 and Deep. So we've had Take That, we're into yep. East 17 now. Uh, again, East 17 were starting to find the form a bit here um, mm-hmm. as they moved through 93 into 94. This was the single Deep. It was their first top five single, which probably pleased the record company because the the previous single, Gold, only got to number 28. So 
panic stations in the record company so we're back on track <laughs> yeah i think i think there was maybe that sort of unofficial rivalry would take that whether it's sort of a media thing but i think there was mm. the take that what might more sort of seen as a bit sort of we're not naff they were seen a bit more pop and i think e17 would trying to present themselves as a bit more sort of cutting edge and but no I, I sort of like them as a group i i think they've done better singles and deep i mean stay another day in house of love and yeah. i like the brief mix it's quite nice and um yeah. hopefully solid serviceable track and another <laughs> one of those ones that pops up on sort of 90s discos and gets people on the floor you would sometimes say to radio producers push out a bit further um <laughs> oh, that's a good swimming analogy actually isn't it deep yeah. as well <laughs> which which brings me to another top of the pops clip if you haven't seen it how shall we present them we'll put them in a swimming pool they've got mermaids and and stuff and they all look brian harvey just looks like what the heck is going on here um but yeah that's that's a good one to uh, to, uh, to dig out um i do like a literal top of the pops presentation swimming pool mermaids it, it was a bit bonkers but yeah. i guess god bless them yeah right so um stereo mcs i'd forgotten how big a deal stereo mcs were yeah I mean, probably obviously are connected as well. So you had yeah. those couple of hits, but yeah, I think I don't know how you categorise a song. Whether it was a maybe sort of dance, whether it's sort of one of the Manchester sort of songs. It's um, but no, it, it's I think one of the catchiest songs on the album. It's really sort of um, mm. it's got a lot going on. It's yeah, a lot of different sort of subgenres, a lot of different sounds going on, and a big chorus. And yeah. Yeah. they had their period, and yeah, it's I think one of the best on the album. Step it up. When I went back to this album again, that song I think probably more than most of the other track, represents 93. It's not Britpop. It's no. not the early 90s baggy. It's that in-between kind of transition phase. Yeah, I think you're right there. Bands like Blair were sort of trying to find their identity in terms of they started off as a bit baggy, and by 93 they were a bit more sort of Britpop. Um, but yeah, I don't think it was much like Stereo mm. MCs going on around. It was a bit of a transition period between grunge, Manchester, sort of Acid House, all those, those sort of scenes maybe wrapping up and evolving, and then... Mm. As you say, Britpop's starting to come up with bands like Sway that were sort of early adopters and maybe a bit of a combination, sort of midway point between the two. So, um, yeah. Later on in the year, I think now 26, Jamiroquai makes first appearance with Too Young to Die. That kind of acid jazz thing was was starting to come through as well later on in the year. Um, That's interesting. Yeah. And it's, uh, but it's Stereo MCs kind of almost represents, I don't know, I don't even know if it was a genre, but it's that kind of, you know, I hate that indie dance phrase because it, it, it becomes a kind of splatter for everything. But there was an yeah. element of that. And they'd had a big year. They won Brit Awards for Best Group and Best Album. You know, they were a, they were a, a big concern. They supported you too. No, I think you're right in what you were saying yeah. there in terms of sort of start of the acid jazz sort of, um, it was very much of its time. So um bit of a step up from sort of E17. So you've sort of kicked it up another gear and yeah, yeah. it's great. Next up's Arrested Development. This was the follow-up to People Every Day, but it was a re-release. <laughs> Been a number 46 hit in May 92. Bit of Prince in there? Yeah, I'm, I'm sort of looking through the now sort of 23, 24, 25, because you had Mr. Wendell as well, didn't you? Mm. So they had they had a sort of run of those hits that were featuring on the now compilations, which, um, yeah, was really good. Um, it was one of these sort of socially conscious songs that I might not have been exposed to otherwise, because I mm. think, as I say, maybe 93, I was listening to more pop and Arrested Development. They were a bit more sort of political a bit more sort of um yeah a bit more serious than a lot of the music i was listening to so that was a good sort of entry point to their work in sort of similar bands at the time yeah yeah they hadn't cleared the sample from alphabet street already oh, oh. <laughs> oops um, oops, yep. mm-hmm. um but prince's lawyers had waited until after the song had sold well and then just charged them a one-off fee there was a lot of that going on wasn't there especially yeah. in the sort of hip-hop late 80s i think artists just um 
assume they can get away with it or they just put the song out and then got it into trouble afterwards but um yeah. oh that's quite that's quite good at least i didn't get um had to pay royalties or a percentage of it <laughs> shift gears slightly here i think it's fair to say an absolute stone called banger show me love by robin s but yeah it's interesting robin s show me love i think two songs with that artist name the other one being obviously the robin swedish artist we know so but yeah it, it's a classic and um yeah it's one of those um sort of big dance numbers that uh was getting played at school discos when i was at high school and I think it still stands up and it's still played on radio today. It's, as you say, it's an absolute banger. Oh, yeah. I think it was sampled not, not long ago, actually. Beyonce comes to mind. Maybe I'm wrong in that. I think that's what it was, yeah. Pulled. It was Break My Soul, but it was, yes. it was sampled, yeah, but it yeah. wasn't sampled, but it sounded a bit like it. And everybody went, that's Robin S, but it's not. Sort of uh, yeah. interpolation. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's a great word, isn't it? Interpolation, which is basically yeah. another way of saying we've stole it. But it's not ours. But it is, uh, yeah. Interpol. Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Beyonce, if you're listening, um, or legal reasons. Yep, anybody yep. listening? We're not, obviously not saying at all. Um, <laughs> says, from one dance diva to another, Lulu. Um, yeah. Um, sort of speaking of take that, I love Relight My Fire when she sort of paired with them. But I think as a solo artist, I've never been a big fan of the work. I think. It's an okay song, but not one that I'd um, sort of go back to necessarily. So let me just introduce today's special guest. It's uh, Luke. No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. I think, I think, yeah. Again, context is important here, Sam, because this was a kind of relaunch for Lulu. Let's bring in lots of remixers, lots of producers. It was going to be a big year for her because she would later on in the year, obviously, um, sing along with "Take That" on "Relight My Fire." I'll give you some interesting numbers. This came from her eleventh album. Yeah, it was her first new material in eleven years. And what number did it get to the charts? Number eleven. Eleven. Cool. Yes, it was a it yeah. was a re, a repositioning, shall we say, for Lulu. Um, yeah, maybe don't like the song, but I think as as a sort of female artist, sort of um, with such a long career that was sort of coming back into the mainstream, I think that's quite impressive because that's still happening to this day. Yeah, I think a lot of the times artists get written off when they get to sort of thirty, forty. But obviously, if you're somebody like Lulu, that can be relevant and sort mm. of sustain a career past then. That gives inspiration to the sort of women yeah. that come through, and you're sort of seeing that with um, sort of Dolly Parton, Cher, and mm. Shania Twain, and all these artists that have been going a few years that then get sort of reintroduced and get a new lease of life. So I think in that respect, yeah, the fact that she was still going is impressive. Even if I don't particularly like the song, it's good that Lulu was still very much a sort of yeah. Um, yeah. sort of relevant artist at that time. But no, it's great. I mean, she's a great artist, so um, I've, I've got no problem with her at all. It's just one of those songs that um, on an album so packed with gems, it's maybe not one it's, of the sort of yeah. standouts for me. It does, it does. And actually, sandwiched between Robin S and the next track, which is The Love I Lost by West yeah. End featuring Sybil, it kind, of, it kind of stands out a bit. So yeah, so this is, this is Stock and Waterman. Yeah, I haven't heard this one for quite a while on the radio, but it's a really sort of solid track and it's yeah. um, very much of its time. But it's it's another one of those sort of bangers that, um, yeah, that I sort of really like and I think can sort of, um, yeah, I mean, it's sort of holds up in a way. It's another example of the songs we've talked about of a great vocalist. Um, yes, Because Sybil absolutely. is a fantastic soul vocalist and yeah. really brings that track up. I don't know if anyone's done a sort of documentary or podcast of these sort of sort of especially women vocalists that don't really get a lot of credit because they were sort of featured artists um black box and mm. sort of delight and sort of other you know you'd, you'd maybe associate them with the sort of men or these sort of creators of the song but there's a lot of these great hits that are defined because of these sort of women that were singing on them mm. that we don't really mm. sort of talk about nowadays but um as you say Sybil's great vocalist i don't really know too much about but i think we probably should know more about us so yes yeah. yeah, maybe an interesting thing that was going on a lot of sort of great collaborators featured artists that um weren't getting the credit they deserve maybe 
I'm sort of watching the reruns of Top of the Pops, and it wasn't long ago mm. since No Limit was coming back on there, and I sort of watched a Twitter feed of um, how people react to this track. It, it gets dumped on quite a lot. I think yeah. people just hate it because it is, it's one of these sort of Euro disco, there's not a lot of weight to it. Personally, I really love it. It's brilliant. I mean, it's one of these tracks that is just pure energy and it's catchy. And I mean, why would you criticize that? It's not trying to be anything other than a sort of good sort of dance, sort of electro sort of disco track. And if it had pretensions of grandeur, I think you could sort of punch it down a bit. But it's it's not trying to be anything other than a sort of good sort of dance track. No Limit is a it's a 90s classic. And I um, I'll defend it against anyone. I think it's it, it earns its place on the album. I will stand by you on that one. We've had previous episodes where Europop has come up, right? And thankfully, all the guests have said, no, do you know what? This, as you say, there's no pretension here. We've got this no. big issue in the UK about knocking Europop. This th- this song sets out to be nothing but bubblegum chewing bubblegum. From that point of view, it's, you know, you just can't criticise it. Especially at that time, we were getting a lot of the sort of best pop dance music. You sort of had Ace of Bass again, another mm. one of those artists that were getting, you know, people were being a bit snobby, but they were producing really good stuff. You had... um. Obviously, Snap, we just talked about. I think, um, yeah, we're getting a lot of the best sort of dance, electro sort of music from Europe, and it's just another case of that. And no. Let's not forget, this song was number one in 35 countries. It's mad, isn't it? So, obviously, people <laughs> are criticising it. I, It exactly. just goes to show that, um, obviously, enough people liked it, and I think maybe it was a thing at the time that there was a lot of cooler sort of air quotes music around it yeah. and this was maybe seen as a bit um well yeah i mean let's be honest in 1993 i would have been much more excited by the likes of modern life is rubbish by the suede yep. album by bjork's <laughs> debut album absolutely no problem at all but yep. you know this this is exactly as you would expect on now 24 uh, one of yeah. the, one of the biggest singles of the year it was number one for five weeks exactly yeah. so um yeah. no I, I won't hear anything against it it's excellent um, good i'm, it, I'm really it, pleased it, about that <laughs> So next to that is more Europop. It's You Got mm. to Know by Capella. What stage in the album are we by this stage? Uh, or maybe yeah, sort we're maybe past the halfway mark or getting near to it. Um, no, I think they're good. But I think after you've come from Two Unlimited and, you know, you're pretty much out of breath by then. It's, um, <laughs> I mean, on their own sort of terms, they're, they're perfectly good songs, but not ones that, um, that I necessarily sort of gravitate yeah. to if I'm listening to the album. So let, let's move on very quickly, I think, shall we? <laughs> Through... Yep. Pressure Us by uh, Sunscreen. Yep, again, sort of good trap. It's okay, but not one of my sort of um, top tracks on the album. No. But um, Yep, I would suggest going to find the track Love You More, which is a much better Sunscreen track, um, if so, I remember that one. Yeah. Yes, yeah, that's much better. We've got Born to Breed by Moni Love. Again, I don't think I'd ever heard of Moni Love before getting now 24, and obviously since then I've sort of checked out songs like Ladies First and all the other mm. sort of stuff she's been involved with, but... um. Paisley Park Radio Mix is um, yeah. doesn't make it more accessible commercial, but maybe it sort of introduces it to um, people that might not have checked out the sort of original version. But no, I think Moni Love's one of those artists that um, I didn't know a lot about when I was nine or ten, but this compilation certainly introduced me and sort of made me more interested in her work and sort of female contemporaries of the time. Importantly, it was a sort of gateway into women in hip-hop and sort of rap in the UK and US. So the track's called Born to Breed, and Breed is B-R-E-E-D, and it stands for Build Relationships Where Education and Enlightenment Dominate. So we're not going to argue with that. <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> yeah. Know, as of note, as you say, it was, it was Prince produced, written and produced by Prince. Not one as we almost finished CD1 that you still hear. 
No, unfortunately. But um, I, yeah, I think that's the thing with Moni. She's one of those artists that gets defined by sort of one or two tracks. But I think she's got quite a. Hmm. There's more to her than that. I think people need to be a bit more daring with artists. Yes. Um, so we started Compact Disc One with a track that came from Now Three, and yep. we're finishing Compact Disc One with a track that came from Now Ten, and it's exactly <laughs> the same reason. It's a best of, and it was the best of Hue and Cry, and it's Labour of Love. It's one of these cases of I quite like the song, but I not particularly interested in the mm. duo or band, however you want to categorise them. Yeah, I mean, it's not one of these cases like the Bluebells where there's a need to sort of reintroduce it because it's been on an advert. It does, mm. Yeah, it does seem a bit random. And as we might explore a bit later, I've got maybe three or four tracks that didn't make the cut that you'd think yes. sort of would be in, in the mix. So it's it's debatable why they chose this. But it's, yeah, as you say, it's okay. But it's... um. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, you mentioned Bluebells. Uh, re-released yep. number one for a month. Yep. Hue and Cry re-released number twenty-five. There we go. I think I think <laughs> I think the chart figures speak for themselves. So we move across to Compact Disc Two, and we start with. Ordinary World by Duran Duran, and I'm going to hand over to you, Sam. Yeah, I think this is the best track on the compilation by A Country Mile. Absolute, I get emotional just speaking about it. I don't know why, I think I, it's just one of those songs, because when I was doing the sort of research for the sort of Now at 40, and I was speaking to various people about their sort of favourite tracks from the compilations, Duran Duran came up a lot, mm. but it was... Um, it tended to be their sort of 80s sort of heyday. And I think at the particular time, they were sort of when they released, was it the wedding album this was from? Yes. Then they had Come Undone that came, I think, after this one. It was a bit of the sort of resurgence. They were sort of very much seen as um, sort of good again. They were getting this mm. new sort of commercial lease of life. And the first time I heard this song, I just knees buckled, everything sort of just, um, yeah, just sort of absolutely blew me away. And I think it's one of these tracks that still you can't fault. I, I don't think they've done, I would say this is best Duran Duran's single ever and a lot of people would debate that because they've done so many good ones but it's it's beautiful I, i've always loved simon Le Bon as a vocalist and he's just his voice is absolutely sort of gorgeous and stunning on this track and yeah every time i listen to it it just really sort of brings out emotions and it's another one of these cases if you can ever write off a band i think many people had with duran duran by 93 mm. and ordinary world seemed to come out of nowhere and it's it's a song that gets played to this day and it's I just love it to death, and it's it's the one song from this compilation I would sort of single out as being the absolute best of why you need to sort of buy it and sort of listen to it, I think. I fully agree with every single word you've said. There's just something about this one that is yeah. is so sort of stirring and epic and beautiful yeah. and... Yeah, I just, I just love it. It well, just it never gets old. It's an interesting point you make about the Now at 40 because Now released these wonderful four albums to put out uh, for each of the decades. As you do, you scan the, you know, the tracks on these albums. And yeah. I was looking for, is there something I should know, of you to a kill or yeah. the reflex or whatever, and then came to Ordinary World and I actually thought, yeah, you're absolutely right, because there's plenty of 80s tracks that represent that period of now. Whereas mm. I remember I remember going into HMV and buying the wedding album, and it felt like a victory lap. It felt like <laughs> you're almost back in something, because I championed Duran Duran for many, many years. I remember when the Liberty yeah. album came out in 1990, which yeah. you know has its moments, but it, it wasn't commercially a big album. Duran Duran mm. went off the radar for three years. And then this came back and it just, listening back to it now, it sounds victorious in its, yes. in its delivery, but it also sounds very of 1993. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of the Simon Le Bon, the band, was sort of inspired by a particular sort of world event or a particular mm. sort of cultural moment to sort of pen something. I think also one of these songs that doesn't sound as dated as half oh, the stuff on this album. Not at all, not at all. I, and and I think as well, you know, j- just to contextualise it in 1993, within a year of this, there would be plenty of Britpop bands flooding yes. the charts. In some ways, Duran Duran beat them to it here because I think there's plenty of Britpop bands who'd have killed for a chorus and a build and a whole feeling the ordinary world brings. Absolutely. Hard to put into words, really. I think it's just one of these mm. sort of gifts from the music gods that, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I just sort of love everything about it and I'll, I'll quite happily listen to it for the rest of my life. And yeah. one of the big reasons why this is my favourite now compilation is because of that song and all the memories it sort of brings back and sort of where I was when I was sort of first heard it. And yeah, perfectly placed to sort of um, give you that unexpected uh Sort of pleasure after hearing Christ, shall we say? Yes, I think so. It's a great piece of now sequencing to yes. put Ordinary World there. Ab- at the, absolutely, 100% uh, agree with that, yeah. yeah. It was a huge validation for Duran Duran. Number six in this country, first top ten hits since All She Wants Is in 1989, mm. but a number one in America, which which again, I mean, the US have always loved Duran Duran, but even, yeah. they, even they had fallen out of love with Duran Duran <laughs> over the last few years, so fantastic. Yeah, I- Sorry, Annie Lennox, but we <laughs> we are taking a slight step down here. Um, but still, love song for a vampire, yeah. um, which yeah. had featured in uh, the '92 film Bram Stoker's Dracula, got best yeah. album and best female at the Brits in February that year, and a number three track. Little Bird was out more or less at the same time. I don't know if it's double A side, but it um, was. Yeah, yeah I, it was double A side. Yeah. I mean, personally, I prefer Little Bird and yeah. that whole album. I mean, it's just. Stunning album, but I, I guess there was maybe a bit of I don't know if the sort of film company or the production company pushed hard for this to be on a sort of now compilation or whether it was trying to tie in with cinema. Because I mean, a lot of the now compilations, I guess, sort of use songs from movies. And mm. but yeah, I, it's okay. But I think in a year where she did produce songs like sort of Little Bird and there was Why and sort of Walking on Broken Glass and all all mm. her extraordinary songs, it's um she's a genius. But this is not quite one of her best songs. But it's Annie Lennox, so it's still better than most songs that you're going to sort of yeah. hear on the album. But, yeah. um, yep, there we go. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right, let's move on to track three because this was one of my favourite albums of 93, which was Bang by World Party. This was the lead track from this, Is It Like Today? I love this one. Mm. Not quite as teary-eyed as sort of Ordinary World, but I, I'm sort of watching the video mm. sort of a bit earlier today and seeing Carl in it, it, it very much in his sort of Bill Hicks, some sort of greasy long hair, yeah, sort of sunglasses. He, he looks really cool. It, it's one of these really intelligent bands that um, if you compare it to, say, sort of Too Unlimited, it just shows the, the fact yeah. that you can have a sort of very sort of silly, goofy song like that. And World Party and Is It Like mm. Today, I just think it's a lot more sort of... Um, thought-provoking and clever melodically as well if you sort of think about what's going on in that song it is a very sort of rich and beautiful song and i've, I've always liked sort of world party but i just don't think they're one of these groups that get talked about enough today no and... this was one of these albums that i used to push on everybody i met you know I used to yeah. champion and then you would say to them yeah but go back and hear goodbye jumbo because that's just as good and <laughs> you know um and it's yeah i mean carl wallinger is just i think one of our finest songwriters in this country what kind of baffled me this was their only top 20 hit is it like today's I think it's terrific. It sort of introduced me to World Party, and as you say, it's um, they've done some terrific work. I think mm. more people should talk about it, and more radio stations should definitely sort of dive a bit deeper with them. Yeah. Constant Craving by Katie Lang. This was another reissue 
first came out the previous year from the Ingenue album. Definitely top five. I think it's um, yeah. one of these sort of female singers. I think a lot of people might have got an impression of what Constant Craven was about in terms of the sort of romantic intentions. And then maybe years later, people realised it wasn't quite what it was. It's I think she was talking maybe about her sexuality or trying to sort of come out or I think it's one of those really important songs for Katie Lang that was very personal to her that maybe she wasn't able to talk about as personally in interviews as she might have done. But it, all these years later, yeah, I think it's sort of influenced a lot of artists that have come after her that um, sort of part of the sort of LGBTQIA plus community fantastic songwriter i've always loved her work and brilliant black and white video really sort of arty and she looks great in it and she's just got one of those voices i when you sort of saw her sort of sing along sort of roy Orbison, they did a track together and yeah they're just two of these sort of powerhouse vocalists that could sort of stand side by side and yeah i've always loved her work and constant craven is one of those uh key 90s tracks for me that i always go back to it's only 30 years ago but there was still things that couldn't be said yeah had artists like Freddie Mercury, had George Michael that obviously mm. appears on Now albums that were sort of talking about sort of heterosexual relationships or they had to keep it gender neutral yeah. or yeah. however you want to describe it because if they sort of came out as bisexual or gay then that just, might be the end of their yeah. career and I think this is a bit of constant craving. You sort of, Katie Lang knew, knew what it was about. It was sort of more sort of heteronormative in the sort of mainstream. It was just seen as another sort of man yeah. and woman of love song. And it's a shame. I think artists like Katie Lang have sort of um, helped break down barriers for sort of women that have come after that and, and men as well and sort of um, non-binary artists. But it's a shame that they couldn't be as sort of free yeah. and expressive and honest as they wanted to be, which is, is a real shame. Thankfully, things have improved since then, but we've still got a little bit of a way to go, I think, when it comes to letting artists just write about what they want to be and people yeah. accepting that. Next up is Tasman Archer, the follow-up to Sleeping Satellite, winner of the British Breakthrough Acts at the Brits. We've got a lot of Brits on here, actually. <laughs> yeah. um, and this was In Your Care. I think you mentioned Sleeping Satellite, which is a song that I love mm. so much. It's it's one of those, I think In Your Care is okay, but I, I love Sleeping Satellite so much that this one sort of doesn't quite have the same effect. But I, I love Archer. She's a brilliant singer and she's a brilliant yeah. artist. Yeah. and. Yeah, shame her career didn't sort of last a bit longer. She, uh, from what I've read, she sort of had a little bit of time in the spotlight and then stepped away or mostly she wasn't seen as particularly sort of viable anymore. But no, it's a great track, but I think yeah. I prefer Sleeping Satellite if we're sort of highlighting a sort of Tasman Archer song. Given that Brits win, she beat Dina Carroll, Take That, mm-hmm. KWS <laughs> and Undercover for best British Breakthrough Act. Go well, back go. and find out who, who some of those people are. There we go. So, <laughs> but she beat Take That, so I think that's, um, exactly. that's credit to her that she exactly. managed to do that. So, um, yeah, yep. all credit so, to her. Shift of pace again. We go to PM Dawn. I'm looking yeah. through patient eyes. I'd forgotten about this track. I think I know PM Dawn for the one track, and this one isn't. <laughs> Unfortunately, <laughs> this this isn't the track. It's um, Set Adrift on Memory Bliss. It, um, that is a track I will sort of identify yeah. with them, and this one, I couldn't really remember listening to it. I mean, it's not terrible. It's just forgettable, unfortunately. And, I think, um, yeah, I, th- I think that's the thing. I'd forgotten it's got the father figure sample in it by George Michael. And actually, yeah. again, a bit of digging. Kathy Dennis does backing vocals on it. I think it's interesting that you get these sort of samples and backing vocalists that sort of like hip-hop songs sort of introduce you mm. to the artists that they're sort of sampling. So even if you don't particularly like PM Dawn, yeah, you, you get other artists that sort of take you in different directions. So, I mean, credit to songs like that that... Um, do sort of cross-pollinate and sort of um, yeah. do that. But, right, um, so cross-pollination, I'm going to throw something in here, right? Because we are go going on. to talk later about tracks that are missing off this. Yeah, right? good, I'm not good. Gonna, I'm, I'm not going to throw my hat in the ring yet, <laughs> but one of my favourite albums of 93 was So Tough by Sinetian. In the opening track from that album, Mario's Cafe, they actually mention the singer of 
PM Dawn, Prince B, because there's a line that says, Lucy writes a letter she'd like to spend an evening with Prince B. So there we go. Oh, Miles nice. pollination there. Um, <laughs> and not the last time in this podcast episode we're going to mention Sinetian listeners. Next up is the beloved and sweet harmony. I love this track. <laughs> I love this track. Yeah, really. I remember the video as a child. Probably shouldn't have been watching it because it's quite risky. <laughs> well, yes, um, <laughs> uh-huh, slightly. <laughs> it's one of those. Um, I think Tess Daly was in that. That's um, where Vernon Kay sort of met her, but sort of sidetracking, sorry, to that one. But um, yeah, I think it's a beautiful track. It's um, mm-hmm. I'm trying to think how you describe it genre-wise. I, I don't know if you've got a sort of description of The Beloved, oh, but it's... Um, I don't know. don't know. It's. I mean, The Beloved had started the 90s. I don't want to use the phrase indie dance because, you know, mm. but but they'd kind of moved into I don't know. This is just wonderful pop for me. Yeah, it's pop. It's got a sort of bit of summer of love. It's spiritual. Mm. It's sort of come together in this sweet harmony. It's sort of positive sort of pop music. This is one of these tracks though that hasn't dated. You know, kind of talked about some tracks that have dated on here. I think yeah. you could still pull up Sweet Harmony by the Beloved in any context, and it would still sound nice and fresh. Yeah, absolutely, because there's nothing... I can't think of anyone today that's recording tracks like this. I don't think, nah. as you say, it's a wonderful track that's just sort of... What you were saying about the sequencings, it's... Yeah, it's it's good how they sort of program the track so you get, um, you get a nice track like this a bit lower down the bill. Do you want to hear my random beloved story? Always, yeah. <laughs> in 1993, I was in a DJ competition. The mm. act that was on, the PA, was, was the beloved. It was great. Oh, nice. And the company... No, it gets better. And the company put us up in a hotel... <laughs> for the night afterwards so we all obviously drank the free bar went back to the hotel and the next morning i had breakfast with the beloved wow i've got a, what are they how are they what are they like as uh, i can't they... actually remember one what they had <laughs> i can't remember and to be fair they were all sitting in the same area we weren't actually deliberately having breakfast together but i tell that story as we had breakfast with the beloved so if you're listening well, john yeah. marsh um you've probably forgotten that <laughs> but there we go next yeah. we've got dina carroll um and this time uh, a, yeah. a big number 23 hit for Dina. <laughs> I think she was one of those artists that didn't quite get um, sort of all the credit she deserves. I think she was a great artist and yeah. successful, but um, yeah. yeah. Fourth it's single fine. from the album, So Close. Fourth single syndrome is never good, to be honest. Um, it, it's not. No, yeah. I just sort of wonder. It's sometimes a case of diminishing returns. There's not many exceptions where the first couple of singles do well and then you're just sort of putting stuff out to keep the sort of artist and album relevant and as you say yeah fourth single it sort of did what it needed to do but it's mm. um it's sort of okay but it's it, it's not great it's yeah. it's okay but yeah yeah now if you're on a cassette version we're on the last track now of your side three which mm. is simply red another track you never hear very often lady godiva's room it comes from yeah. the montreux ep which was a, a live ep yes uh, number 11 uh, I, I hate this. Well, I don't. I don't like this. I. I. I wonder why it's on there. It, it seems it's on there because of record company pressure, Sam. That's why it's on there. It's one of the worst on there. I, I don't. I mean, yeah. I've got nothing against Simply Red. I. I like Stars. I like their sort of um, classic hits. But it's. It's such a weird, especially a live yeah. track as well. It, it just seemed there's better tracks that we're going to discuss that got yeah. missed out that um, it doesn't have a place being on here. Yeah. I think, as you say, it's sort of record company and it sort of stands out as such. It's, it's To be really honest, bizarre. Sam, if you'd come on here as a 10-year-old fan of Now 24 and said, Ian, the best track on here for me is Lady <laughs> Godiva's Room. Because let, let's, let's contextualise this. This was a B-side of a 1987 single called Infidelity, which they had yep. sung live as part of a Montreux Jazz Festival session and then they had put out as an EP. No, I don't think I've got anything else to say about that. No, definitely. It, 
Suffice to say, it wasn't the one I was talking about in the school ground. As um, <laughs> no, yeah, no, because yeah. <laughs> if you had, there would have been issues. To be honest, um, what I will say, this is this is of interest. This is of mild now interest. We've got two tracks here on CD two that are both live tracks. Yeah, and I, and to my knowledge, that's the only time on any now album there's been two live tracks back to back. It's interesting. I wonder why they did that. Because yeah, what's it? Sort of Genesis next? Another? Oh God, why is this on here? So I, I don't know if it was a particular quota or something. But um... well, I think there was a live album. There was a Genesis live album. Funnily enough, this got higher than the original version. This got to number oh, really? seven, whereas the original yeah. 1986 got to number fifteen, which is bonkers. I just wonder who's buying it at this point in '93. It's it's weird sort of trends and why certain songs were sort of charting well when yeah. other stuff was really sort of bombing. It's weird how sort of tastes yeah. were side four of no, of now 24 side four of any new album often can be quite a, an interesting landscape but <laughs> i'm happy to skip over this quite quickly the only thing i would yes. like to mention is in this live version phil collins gets a bit racy and swears yeah and there's a bleeped out word in there now to my knowledge again listeners this is the only time it's definitely the first time a word's been bleeped out on a now album possibly the only time a word's because nowadays you get radio edits so anybody else find any i don't think there are any but if anybody else finds any then please let me know happy to skip on to the next track This is more like it. I love Lenny Kravitz. I mm. think he's he's a cool dude. And um, songs like "Are You Gonna Go My Way" and sort of "American Woman" and mm. um, "It Ain't Over Till It's Over." I, he's one of these people like Prince that could just play anything. He's a virtuoso. So he, yeah. he can write these sort of incredible riffs. He's an incredible songwriter. Obviously, still going today. And it's one of these classic '90s songs that always comes up in discos. It always comes up in compilations. It just it just sort of kicks butt. And again coming down to the sequencing i don't know how many people talk about the um how important it is to get the track oh, yeah. right. it, it's in the right place it needed to be there it's perfectly placed so it's um it breaks it up nicely but it's a great track i love it yeah yeah See, how about yourself oh i love it there's that wonderful mark romanek video as well in that yeah that kind of arena that kind of circular arena with all the folk dancing and oh, it's just it's, sort of women on drums and his sort of women playing with him yeah really sort brilliant. of cool sort of funky band that uh, yeah he's just great it's one of these tracks i think again maybe you disagree but i don't think it sounds particularly dated i think you could sort of no well i think think the thing is i mean somebody like lenny kravitz's reference points are are anywhere and everywhere anyway they're the 60s they're the 70s so actually you know nobody channeled 1973 better in 1993 (laughs) than lenny kravitz is perfect his biggest hit to date at this point and his biggest until fly away in 99 And well done, Australia, all our Australian listeners. Number one for six weeks. Yeah, I, it's interesting how certain artists sort of fare in different countries and sort of Lenny Kravitz getting to number one in Australia. Kate Bush was somebody who always did quite well in Australia. I just wondered why particular tastes are different and why particular artists sort of resonate mm. with an Australian audience. Yeah. Well done, Australia. Yeah, it should have been a number one song for a lot longer, but um, yeah. there you go. So Depeche Mode are back in 1983, yep. Songs of Faith and Devotion, and this is single one. Only number eight. Yeah. <laughs> Goodness. It's surprising. I mean, when I got the up, I, I knew a bit about Depeche Mode when I was young, mm. but I, I was quite surprised to see them in there because not that they were too cool for now. I, I just thought it was, it's one of these sort of bands that I didn't expect to see mm. pop up in the Now compilation, which is, um, but I'm glad they are there because, uh, oh, yeah, yeah it's, it's another sort of shift in terms of sound and mm. sort of um, subjects as well. But yeah. It was, it was the beginning of the kind of, 
I don't know, was it the kind of stadium version of Depeche Mode? Up to this point, it had been quite electronic. I liked Violator, liked a lot of that earlier stuff. I've got mm. friends that loved this album much, much more. But yeah. um, to me, it got a bit stadium rocky and things. Going back, I hadn't heard this song for a while, actually. It's a great track. Another one of these tracks that sort of gets me reconnected with Depeche Mode. So I listen to this track and then, as you say, I'll go back to look at their sort of older work. and um, yeah. You sort of connect with the band rather than that one song, so it's, um, yeah, it's really good. Mm, yeah. So next up's Peter Gabriel uh, and Steam. Yep, um, Sledgehammer Part 2, just <laughs> slightly redone, which is what... I mean, yes, it, it pretty, yes. It pretty much is down to the video as well, which is mm. a sort of inferior version of the genius, groundbreaking original. You can tell it's it's basically sort of... I don't know if you're consciously set to make Steam Sledgehammer Part 2, but Steam is very similar in yeah. terms of... It's sound and everything about it. I think I think Peter Gabriel's a funny artist. He never set out to be a commercial artist, I don't think. I no, think, definitely I think not. he's always no, just no. ploughed his own furrow, right? Yes. But yeah. when he does reach the you know, the mainstream like albums like So and Tracks Like Sledgehammer and and this yeah. there is that kind of defining so he almost stumbles into the mainstream by accident, Peter Gabriel. As we speak, you know, at the kind of beginning of twenty twenty four, obviously the IO album is back. It's been Oh, um, it's, it's brilliant. It's just yeah. fabulous. It's been a number one. There's a track yeah. on there actually, um, called Olive Tree, which mm. I get it actually it's like it's almost like that sledgehammer steam kind of thing again. It's you know, it's You're right. that yeah, kind yeah. of, you know, just pushing toward and obviously in the chart landscape of now, that's never gonna trouble the charts as a single, you know. But it's no. it's got that same sound. But yeah, just that kind of wonderful, you know, yeah, you know, we talk about Kate Bush, you know, fans waiting a while. <laughs> Peter Gabriel fans as well. Patience. Always interesting. Yeah, well, that's interesting. Sorry, I'm Try not to bring it back to Kate Bush too much, but I, I'm <laughs> oh, I'm going, going to bring it back to Kate Bush later, Sam. Don't worry, don't worry. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting what you were saying about Peter Gabriel, sort of not because I don't. He was commercial. Those untitled albums, however many. Yeah, he did bring Kate Bush on for a couple of tracks. Obviously, um, yeah, sort of no self control, sort mm. of games without frontiers. So he sort of, I think, in a way, was very influential when it came to her more experimental albums, like the um, sort of the dreaming album, never forever. She was getting a lot of influence from Peter Gabriel. And then I think yeah. because she came a bit more mainstream with sort of hounds of love, maybe Peter Gabriel sort of was influenced by that. So 86 was it that so came out. So I think mm. he was, he was a big influence on her and she learned a lot from him and Peter Gabriel doesn't get enough credit for sort of inspiring artists like Kate Bush in terms of how he sort of approached albums, but he could mm. go for something very experimental. That's, kind of weird slightly off the mainstream but he could come back with an album yeah sort of like as and so that is uh, a lot more commercial but still really sort of good and strong and yeah yeah yeah. i sometimes would have moments when i think if i only had kate bush albums and peter gabriel albums in my collection that probably would be okay (laughs) but you do yeah yeah but then he'd attract like no limit and i think oh well, maybe we need a bit of dance in there as well sometimes. But, yeah, it gets me wondering what you're saying because he's got a new album out. I just sort of itching for a new Kate Bush album, whether Peter oh. Gabriel sort of doing new music has sort of inspired her to sort of get her finger out a bit and bring some help. Oh. I, I, I mean, I'm hopeful this year is going to be the year, but um, yeah, I don't oh, want to say it again and be disappointed, but I think um, it's great that Peter Gabriel's still going, so it gives hope to sort of I know. Us, us Kate Bush fans that she might... Um, 
she might be back sooner. Let's hope right. so. Let, because there, you know, there is that kind of small list of cards of things that music journalists say every year, like we're expecting a Kate Bush album this year. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know? Uh, yeah, he's got a bit of history, Peter Gabriel, with sort of blowing big Kate Bush secrets because he sort of revealed to the world that she had a son yeah. which she kept private. And then he sort of almost revealed that she was going back on tour. So yeah. I sort of hoping secretly that Peter Gabriel might sort of put his foot in his mouth and just yeah. say that um, Let's hope so. she's got a new album coming out and then he'd, he'd get in trouble. But um Alas, nothing yet, but um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, fingers crossed from both of us, I think, yeah. So, after Steam, um, mm. I'm guessing we're not going to spend too much time talking <laughs> about three rather particularly average cover versions. Um, yeah. and, and hopefully I've not just blown your love of Cats in the Cradle by Ugly Kid, Joe. No, don't worry. I'm, I mean, I, I do prefer the original. I think yeah. most people do. I, I don't know why Ugly Kid Joe did it. I don't know why... Don't know. I, I guess money, it's going to make money, it's commercial, but I, I just would have said leave the song alone. It's a shame that they just sort of tried to ruin a sort of classic song that um, yep. should, have been, should have been left be, but I'm happy to skip it because, yeah. It's, yep, it's... happy to skip second of two hits to date for Ugly Kid Joe. <laughs> wow. <laughs> you yep. never know. Maybe new music this year from Ugly Kid Joe. <laughs> um, and then we've got another cover version of uh, Easy by the Commodores done by um, Faith No More. I like Faith No More. So I, do I. I. I mean, they're best when they're sort of really sort of raw and tense, and this is this is a really sort of weird... I, again, why did they cover this song? I don't think there was a lot of... Um, no, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a strange choice. It, it would have been nice to hear a sort of pure Faith No More song that was a bit more sort of... Maybe it's a bit too hard-hitting, a bit too sort of intense for now, but mm. um, yeah, this is very sort of lazy. It's quite faithful as well. It doesn't really add much to no. the original. It's To me, this just screams again of record companies, we need to put Faith No More back in the market. Can you do a cover yeah. version? I mean, we will put one of your tracks on the B-side, but the Angel Dust album that came out in 92 is brilliant. I mean, it's, there's tracks on there, but then again, Midlife Crisis, <laughs> these kind of tracks, you're not going to be troubling now, unfortunately. I think I think yeah. From Out of Nowhere have been on now 17. Yeah, I'm just sort of looking down the track list the last three tracks apart from the final track but yeah it's unfortunately a bad run of songs where you get these weaker versions of better songs it's not yeah so yeah because we've got Ryan Ferry on there next I put put a spell on you brackets single mix long version close brackets the original's better it's a lot better I mean who was it that covered it it's Nina Simone did a Mm. version Brian Ferry's great but this is not the type of song that really is in his wheelhouse I don't think he does much with it and I wouldn't have listened to it or it's a very grown-up adult song on a now album, which now did quite a bit of in the 90s, early 90s, the kind of here, yeah. here's an important album artist that you should also know about. Again, you don't hear it much. And um, Brian Ferry, great, obviously great vocalist, Roxy Music, fantastic. However, mm. we're sliding out of CD2 here. And we're sliding into <laughs> Vienna, another reissue. And this is another one of these seven to eight minute best-ofs. There was a best-of came out called If I Was, brackets, yep. the very best of mid-June Ultravox. What mm. single shall we re-release to, to promote? Motor, the most obvious one, Vienna. Again, it's one of those tracks I'm quite happy not to spend too much time on. I, I mean, I, I like the original, but mm-hmm. I can always go back to the original album. Yes. I, I don't need it on a now 24, but I think um, mm. the whole compilation is a bit stronger for the weaker moments because I don't know, mm. it's a weird thing... <sighs> I'll describe maybe it sort of makes a good tracks excellent. It sort of gives extra mm. sort of weight to some tracks and it's um yeah. it's nice. Again, if you didn't know who Ultravox were, you at least get this song in and you could sort of... um. Yep. You can sort of track back, it gets in a new demographic, sort of slightly older listeners. It's mm. something for them in there. It's not just about the teenagers. It's yep. um yep. 
there's something for everyone as we will find out with the last track as well <laughs> well i'm just going to put in a quick shout out for the original ultravox vienna album because i that was one of my first bands actually thank you very much to my friend john who does the music for this podcast who got oh, me wow. into ultravox and nice. go back and listen to it because it's a fantastic album and it was basically yeah. the blueprint for the killers all i'm gonna say there you go so and uh, finishing off with paul mccartney and hope of deliverance <laughs> yeah. um this was the lead single from the off the ground album actually went by it didn't sound as bad as i remember it i mean i really love it i think because i was a child when i first heard it and it's not that it's a childlike song but i think it's a sort of simple acoustic mm. Mm. oh yeah catchy yeah. song so i think because i was sort of nine ten when i first heard it it's um that's why i like it but um if you talk about paul mccartney and his solo tracks it's definitely not one of his best and off the ground it's not one of his best albums but it's you know it is catchy it's what he does well it's um yeah. it's him in sort of peace mode hope of peace through the darkness which i think is actually strangely sort of relevant now so yeah i mean yeah he's always had this attitude of we can sort of change the world and he he always wants people to get along and mm. i can't fault him for that but but yeah it's paul mccartney so uh yeah it, i and i enjoyed rediscovering it actually because i hadn't heard yeah. it for a long long time and it's actually made me go back and listen to the off the ground album again so well, that's it. it's it, yeah it, it has done it and it's always nice to see paul mccartney on the now albums it's a reminder of that relevance as you go through the years of yeah. of, of where those touch points were because i think previous to this his previous now appearance was now 15, which was My Brave Face off the Flowers and the Dirt album, which is a fantastic album as well. So That's interesting. Yeah, it's similar to sort of Duran Duran, who might have been mm. more synonymous with 70s and 80s, and maybe the 90s wasn't their best decade. The same with Paul McCartney, I think, is 90s. They were sort of coming into a decade that was very sort of evolving, very sort of different, and they were trying to sort of work around that. And yeah. I think... Um, he did a couple of good albums in the 90s. I mean, um, Flaming Pie is one of the best ones he ever oh, did. Yeah. But I think, but no, he's one of these songwriters that always produces at least one sort of genius tracks in every album. And I think this is, uh, yeah, I think this is a good example. It's a perfect way to end as well because it's, um, yeah, it's great. Yeah, and I think you make a good point as well. As a as a young music listener at the time, that could have been a gateway to something else for listeners. Yeah, because um, obviously I was a huge Beatles fan hmm. at that age. I knew about Wings through Band on the Run because that was in the house. That's still one of my favourite albums. But I don't think I knew much about Paul McCartney as a solo artist. So I think this sort of introduced me to his solo work. And then I went back and listened to McCartney 1 and 2. And then all the other stuff he did with Linda as well. So this was a nice sort of accessible, good Paul McCartney song that sort of introduced me to Off the Ground. But also as well, I sort of dug into his solo career. So um, yeah, I think on that basis, it's uh, it's a good inclusion. We have gone through both compact discs, all four sides of the cassettes as well, yep. and we've got through 37 top chart hits, as it tells us on the back of the album. If you could make some changes, if you could do some editorial shifting around of now 24, go for it. Well, in terms of taking out, I would take out Ugly Kid Joe, Cats in the Cradle, Simply Red, I would yeah. take out, I'd take out Genesis, maybe Faith No More as well. Mm. I might keep Hugh and Cry in, but I'd put them a bit further down, so maybe sort of near Paul McCartney, maybe a sort mm. of penultimate track because it's got a similar oh yeah yeah similar short vibe i keep them in i don't hate the trap but i think it's it's not one of those um yeah it's not one of those ones i did test i would keep lulu in because i think what you said has actually made me sort of reevaluate. actually yeah it is important this song came out and mm -hmm. she's a great artist yeah maybe that's it for cuts and then a couple of sort of readjustments that would be good and then i've got some ideas for possible songs that we could right go for it this is the, this is the bit i always like so so what you bring now remember the rules were in mm. april 1993 
three, and this is where sadly anything off the Red Shoes cannot go in this album. So there's that crossover period between songs that were released after Now 23, but before mm. Now 25. So one that I want to put in that seems obvious that isn't there at all is Linger by the Cranberries, which I don't think is in 23, 24, 25, and that came out on the 15th of February 1993. So that is smack mm-hmm. bang. Yep. Linger would have been an amazing shot from now to put on this album because that mm. was the first time it was released. However, they did catch it later when it was re-released and it was on right. 27. But actually, ah. if they'd put it on this first time round, that would have been brilliant because that yeah. would have opened up now 27 for Dreams, which didn't there appear in my album. <laughs> so great bit of editorial work, Sam, on that. Lovely. Um, I think you had Suede, sort of Animal Nitrate that came out in February 93 as well. And I think that was a... Uh, That's one of mine. Yep, definitely. What it, um, Hadaway, What Is Love? Maybe you correct me, they might have been on a later compilation, but... Um, this came out in January 93, so I'm just wondering... Yeah. So what's quite was... interesting, yeah, is that a lot of these tracks um, were released exactly in the window for this album, but they kind of bounced around the charts for a while. Often what now would do is they would pick up songs for the end of the year album that had been hit earlier on in the year. So I, I think, see. if I'm right, I think Hadaway's on now 26. The Christmas Now albums often sell better because they've got a whole year of tracks to pick from. So anything that's been missed, because you're right, that, that would have been spot on for this time period. Mm. Anything that gets missed gets hoovered up for the end of the year. But Hadaway would have worked really well yeah, I in that kind of disc one. There's another um, Jade and Don't Walk Away. I don't know if you remember oh, yeah. that song. Yeah, it's a great song. That was November 92, so that was just mm. after t- now 23. So I don't know if it's one of the victims of being in the window. It gets lost, that, yeah. That would have been great again on 24. I mean, Prince doesn't appear on 24 and Track Light 7, which came out in, again, it's November 92, so that might have got lost in the window, mm. but that would have been great. Maybe Lisa Stansfield, I've got down as um, Someday I'm Coming Back. No, I think from all of those, I would say the Cranberries. Yeah, and Suede as well, as you say, is one of your picks. I think that was a natural sort of inclusion. Obviously, you had Blur as well. They came out with Four Tomorrow, which was on the 19th of April. So that might have just been a bit too close, but, you know. Yep. I actually think, you know, you talk about Animal Nitrate, that would have been an amazing track instead of Genesis, just to kick things off for that fourth side. Absolutely. And I, I... I don't know if you agree, but I think sort of Suede are maybe sort of the originators of Britpop above mm, sort of Blur. I think they were the ones that got there first, and it would have been mm. a nice sort of introduction to yep. Uh, yep. to what's just come, sort of Blur and Oasis and that lot. So, um, yeah. yeah. The only but other one go. I would have popped in there is You're in a Bad Way by Sinetian. And I think that would have sat quite nicely towards the end of CD1. That would have been quite nice in there. And I'm not I'm not going to go too deep down that kind of pre-Britpop route because that, that's a whole different rabbit hole for me, which I love. One that I sort of thought about might be a bit racy for now is Madonna because she obviously mm. erotica came out um, around about that time. So Deeper and Deeper would have mm. been... Do you know, it's probably down to record companies because Madonna famously never appeared on any now albums. Deeper and Deeper, which is one of my favourite Madonna tracks, yeah. um, would have sounded great in amongst Robin S, probably with Lulu. <laughs> you know, that yeah. would have sounded pretty good in there. That kind of nod to the past with the disco of Madonna would have been superb. Was it a case of record labels got a lot of say what was included and what wasn't included? Because obviously we talked about a few tracks that didn't make it in there. How much of that was down to 
sort of the makers thinking it wasn't going to be a popular choice? How much of it was record labels? I think historically things? there was always a bit of record company politics around the inclusions. So if, it, yeah. if record companies wanted to hold tracks back because they thought there were going to be bigger hits on their own albums or mm. if there was an act that they needed to push, they would often get you know pushed. So there's a whole kind of interest to that. But there were certainly some big famous artists uh, that were often withheld. Yeah, obviously, I'd ask like Nirvana was still going in '93, but again, mm. they might not have. Um, totally, yeah. they might have been a bit, um, yeah. bit different than sort of Soundgarden and all that sort of grunge Pearl Jam were going as well. But um, very interesting. There's almost a parallel universe now. Twenty four out there, isn't there? They, yeah, that's what I was saying at the top. Yeah, there's a, this sort of pop um, sort of chart sort of now compilation and then there's mm. the everything else going on around it yeah. that um yeah. was happening so it's yeah it's really interesting to contrast it but i think that's why 93 was such an interesting year because you got all these amazing tracks that we've just talked about and gone into detail about but also you've got the ones that we're just mentioning now so much going on that year it was yeah. it was amazing time it's a fascinating year to revisit so it's given brilliant. that what would you take from now 24 if you were going to take a handful of tracks which would you take to to kind of <laughs> immortalize that time capsule element for you how many do I get? Let's have a think. Um, do you know, we never limit guests to how many, but as many as many CD singles of the time you can hold in your hand. I'm going to start with the Blue Bells, Young at Heart, just because mm. obviously the first track I heard from the compilation, so that was really special, so I'm going to keep that. Um, I'm also going to keep Stereo MC's Step It Up, because I think that's, um, yeah, I think it's just one of those mm. incredible songs that's always going to be sort of really great, and it's one that, I listened to more in high school. I think it was, yeah, it sort of bonded me to a lot of people and it was a, a really popular track. Mm. Going to go for two Unlimited just so I could be sort of cool and uncool at the same time. And <laughs> we sort of said how much we love that track, but I think it, it's got to come with me because it's, oh, yeah. it's very it's very special and I, I can't leave it behind. So I've got to take that. Obviously, Duran Duran, mm. that's going to go top of the pile. So Ordinary World's going to come with me as well. World Party, is it like today? So I'm going to keep that because... Yeah, I just love that song and I love World Party. Katie Lang, just about fit that in my hand as well. And then, ooh, let's say one more. I would go for Choice Between Lenny Kravitz and Paul McCartney. I would go, yeah, sorry, Paul, I'm going to go for Lenny Kravitz. And <laughs> are you going to go my way just because uh, yeah. just because it's one of those sort of absolute belter tracks that um, just really defines the album in terms of sort of quality on there. So, uh yeah, I think those would be my selection. I don't think Paul would be too disappointed, Sam, to he's, be honest. He's, he's got enough money, yeah, he's got enough I, fans, he's, I think he's he'll okay. Be, I think he'd be the first to say, hope of deliverance over, <laughs> over are you going to go my way? No, you're okay, thanks. He's one of those, he's a good guy, yeah. Absolutely. Would. Sam, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast and revisiting Now24. Um, oh, you, my pleasure. Have thank you enjoyed you that, that revisit? It has been. It's a Princeton rush. It is a step back in time. It's um. It's been very emotional because uh, yeah, I listened to the whole album this, this morning in preparation, and it did make me very emotional. But it also sort of um, a really sort of difficult sort of rubbish time for everyone. It's. I think it's good to have a bit of nostalgia where we can sort of escape into um, important music that um, takes us back to childhood and sort of revisiting now 24 it just um it really took me to a sort of nice warm place and it's been good to discuss to these tracks because you've sort of brought in information that um i didn't know about and it's recontextualized it it's been an honor it's been it's a pleasure been an absolute pleasure having you on board sam thanks very much thank you cheers 